0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: Coming up on episode number 34 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, it's a conversation with former pro wrestler Chavo Guerrero on his importance to the new film, Iron Claw, on the tragic story of the Von Erich family. At 6:15, it is the first of a 2 segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, insidetexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. It's National Signing Day 1, so there aren't many better Wednesdays to talk to my friend Justin. And a mere seconds, it is National Signing Day 1, as I just told you, and it's coming to a close, at least day one of National Signing Day 1. We have a story, though, that's flying under the radar as a result regarding Florida State, perhaps the future of college football. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at courtesywave, and do the same for ESPN Austin, at 1027ESPN. Congrats to Steve Sarkeesian and his staff for landing another top five recruiting class. They finished strong, as we talked about a little bit earlier this week, flipping one five-star commitment and holding on to a few others in the process, most notably five-star wide receiver out of Missouri, Ryan Wingo, a little bit earlier today. And ultimately, they do end up with another top five class and one that really helps to address some areas of need or areas of concern. For the future. And congrats, by the way, not just to Steve Sarkeesian, but all the Central Texas area athletes who did sign scholarship papers to play football at the next level. It's very exciting. I don't care if you're talking about Texas or Abilene Christian. It is really cool for these kids that get to continue this dream, if you will, and get to play this sport as part of their college experience. Now, unfortunately, where you have days as big as this, perhaps some other stories do end up flying under the radar, and I feel that's kind of what's happening with a story posted late yesterday to ESPN that has to do with Florida State. Yes, the Florida State football team that was just spurned, some would say screwed, by the college football playoff committee just a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, while there was maybe a slight bit of a screw job, you also understand why the selection committee did what they did in getting the four best teams together to decide a national champion. The unfortunate reality for Florida State, even though they went undefeated in the ACC this year, which is a Power 5 conference, at least it's currently a Power 5 conference, is that losing their starting quarterback made the argument a little bit easier to include Alabama over the Seminoles. Well, Florida State, who prior to this season was asking serious questions about their future and where they should be playing football in the future conference-wise, is once again revisiting its long-term future in the ACC. A conversation that started back up in recent weeks, yes, as a result of their omission from the college football playoff earlier this month. Many at the university and connected to the university, as you can understand, were infuriated by this, and they feel like part of the problem is the fact that they played in a weaker conference this year. And to be clear, as the CSPN article is, they're not planning on leaving the ACC in the near term, but they're weighing all their options. They've already voiced the displeasure, as I talked about, months ago about the ACC possibly getting left behind specifically relating to the revenue gap that's going to exist between the Big Ten, the SEC, and every other conference. The ACC, I believe, are scheduled to still make a little bit more than the Big 12, but the money is on par in terms of what each school is going to receive with what the Big 12 just worked, the deal that Brett Yormark and the Big 12 worked for its schools going forward. And you may see a bump based on the schools that will be joining the ACC starting next year, SMU, Stanford, and Cal, because I believe they did waive their TV revenue for at least a year, if not a couple of years. Ultimately, that's going to level out again, and they will find themselves well behind the SEC and Big Ten. And as NIL continues to be streamlined that much more, And I don't know if federal legislation ends up getting passed, but as you see schools being given the opportunity at the highest level to fold collectives into the athletics department and work deals for their student athletes, that TV rights money is going to be a carrot that can be dangled in front of a potential future alumnus of that school, or at least a college athlete for the athletics department. And when the difference is double, when you're talking about ACC schools making somewhere around 30 million a year and that number doubling and then some with the SEC and the, the Big 10, I feel like that number is closer to 70 or 80 for each of those conferences. Florida State's going to get left behind if they stay in the ACC. There's no two ways about it. You can survive to a certain degree on donors from your richest alumnus But that TV money is going to go a long ways in helping to set that standard going forward. Especially once the two-year deal that exists for the expanded college football playoff, which starts next year, once that runs out and a new deal is in place, with ESPN holding a lot of those cards right now. Back in August, during a Board of Trustees meeting, Florida State President Richard McCulloch made it clear that the school would, quote, very seriously consider leaving the league if things did not change with regards to how things look financially. And they're not alone in the ACC either, by the way. Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and NC State have all had a similar sort of conversation this year going back to the spring. Now those who don't believe this will happen point to schools wanting to leave that conference as having a huge grant of rights deal that they have to overcome. Money owed to the conference if they leave the conference before 2036. And the ACC also controlling the media rights of its member schools, including broadcasts of games in all sports through 2036 too. Any school, according to this ESPN article, that wants to leave the ACC would have to pay an exit fee of three times the league's operating budget, which is roughly $120 million. But when you start getting lawyers involved, things can change. Interesting note from UCLA coach Chip Kelly, who held a press conference ahead of his team's LA Bowl win over Boise State last weekend. He talked about there needing to be one conference, one conference. So abolish all the conferences, just have one conference that composes the top 64 teams in college football, and then a second tier, if you will, that has the next 64 teams. And so conferences go away altogether. Look, I'm all about simplification. That maybe simplifies it too much. Or if you do have that, it's not a conference, it's one league. The conference that Chip Kelly is referring to would be a league, and you would still have conferences I actually think the conference is going to be closer to 32 teams than 64 teams. It could have been 64, but once you started to see the movement that you did, beginning with Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, I think the likelihood of it being 64 teams went down drastically. Probably closer to 32 at this point with those two conferences, and it'll look like the NFL model with the AFC and NFC. It wouldn't be AFC, NFC. It would be Big Ten and SEC. They could change those names theoretically, but the likelihood is that's what you see. And maybe there is a relegation element in fe- effect. A concept that was really popularized with soccer where the least competitive teams at the highest league get bumped down to the lower league and the most competitive teams to show a willingness to spend a little bit more to try and remain competitive with the big dogs. They get bumped up and they get that opportunity. But that is probably still at least a year, if not more, away that conversation becoming more serious. But I think that it's inevitable that that's where it heads. All right, coming up, we're going to continue the college football conversation. I guess this is also a future conversation because we're talking about high school kids that sign their letters of intent today. Play at places like Texas and a whole lot more. We're gonna focus on the Texas side of things with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, Inside and the Inside Texas YouTube channel joins me every Wednesday for a couple of segments. This is probably one of the most important Wednesdays to tune into what
0: Justin has to say. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.
1: It is a Wednesday, which means we spend a couple of segments with my good friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com. This Wednesday, well, yeah, sometimes the Wednesday does matter a little bit more, and this Wednesday certainly does because it officially kicks off National Signing Day 1 because Justin is a very wanted man at all times of year, but especially today, maybe the busiest day of the year for him. Had to do things a little bit differently today, so the second voice you're going to hear on this conversation, or the third voice, I should say, after Justin's, is my broadcasting partner, Brad Kellner. Hope you enjoy this
2: two-part chat on the Texas Longhorns and National Signing Day 1. Joining us now, as you mentioned, our favorite, man, are the very first guest in the history of Trey and BK. You can find him over at InsideTexas.com. And by the way, because we all love each other, And as Justin Wells always says at the end of every conversation we have with him, nothing but love. I will promote the new Inside Texas YouTube channel. Y'all make sure to subscribe over at InsideTexas.com, but also subscribe to the Inside Texas channel. Justin's on there, our old buddy Joe Cook, Eric Nalin, Ian Boyd, Scipio Tex, all the homies, all of our old friends from uh, the radio station days are now doing their own thing on YouTube as well. So definitely check them out. Jay Wells, what's up, brother?
0: Kellner, what are you doing, partying with the twenty-two-year-old on Sixth Street? How old are you now? Ah, uh,
2: twenty-nine, going on eighty.
0: Okay, you're okay. You're still in that. You're still in that range where it's not too bad. But buddy, man, wait till you hit those thirties. It's gonna get a little bit tougher. And then once you hit the forties, it's not. Hey, I'll go out for anything. It's where are you going now? Nah, maybe next time. Yeah, it's border. He's okay right now at 29. He's okay, hey, and he still looks like a dang baby. So it's okay. He's got the young face. He, he's going to shave soon. I'm telling you, it's okay now. <laughs> but once he gets into those 30s, he's going to start feeling it.
2: Did you guys know you could grow hair on your chest? I just grew my first one yesterday. That's that's very exciting for that's me. Sweet. Uh, I'm, I'm thank you. Armenian, so
1: unfortunately,
2: <laughs> and then some... Yeah. Oh my God. All right, Justin, this is the busiest week of the year for you and probably the busiest day of the year for you as well. Uh, it was made even busier by one Ryan Wingo. It's official now we don't have to stress anymore, but my God, what have the last like six hours been like for you trying to track this whole Ryan Wingo story?
0: Well, if you, if you tuned in at inside Texas, you, you saw my note last night. Um, uh, there was no worry about Ryan Wingo. And then this morning I was actually talking to his dad. You know, there was some stuff that started coming out about how his letter of intent had and this was earlier. This was probably about eight, eight thirty this morning. Some some whispers about Missouri making a late push. I said, Mr. Wingo, what's going on, man? And he said, What? Ryan's asleep. I said, "Okay, that sounds like a typical, you know, 18 year old that's out of school right now over the Christmas holiday and he's already graduated, matter of fact. So let that man sleep. Went ahead and slept till noon like a real one. Ultimately, it was always Texas. Nothing changed. Nothing changed last night. Nothing changed this morning. And nothing changed when he signed earlier today. It was always going to be Texas ever since even before the commitment. It was always going to be Texas. And so a kid can't even sleep in anymore without people freaking out about his national letter of intent on this glorious national signing day.
1: Justin, you guys are so good at your jobs now and you keep people so well informed that even the things that were big surprises back in the day aren't really that big of surprises anymore. I guess there was was a little bit of squeezing about Wingo, but ultimately folks felt good that he would uh, end up at Texas. The flip that happened between Texas and Alabama a few minutes ago, not that big of a surprise uh, with what we've known over the last few weeks now. Are you as somebody who has been in this business as long as you have and is used to surprises, is, is there something surprising that or that is a surprise to you that happens today or will happen a little bit later today?
0: Well, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, we always still get surprised. No one's no one's bigger than getting surprised. Brandon Brown, one of the top defensive tackles in the country from twenty twenty five, committed to Texas two days ago. Out of nowhere. <laughs> so we can always get surprised and we got to, you got to stay humble and you got to know that you got to fight for every, every, every inch. We weren't surprised with what happened today simply because we we checked in because listen, things change, especially, let me tell you something. You think high school recruiting's crazy. Portal recruiting recruiting is like high school recruiting on, on, on hard, hard barbiturates, man. <laughs> like it is tough. It can be something done in 10 minutes later. It's not only not done; he's not even going to visit. And then an hour later, he's talking to Lane Kiffin. Portal recruiting is nuts, and so if there are some, you know, surprises, it's not even that. It's that you just have to stay informed. We got you; have to stay checking in with your sources. You have to stay on stories. If you didn't have some sort of worry about Aaron Hampton flipping to Alabama on signing day. You didn't read the last three and a half years of Aaron Hampton recruiting news and insider information and reports. I mean, that this was his third decommitment in his fourth school. I think him and Jordan Elliott might be related. Um, but, no, yeah. we can always be surprised. But if, if you check in with your guys, you realize, hey, this kid is just sleeping in. Or, hey, this kid. Feels like he can do a better job in Tuscaloosa or, you know, this kid right here could commit out of Melbourne, Florida, out of nowhere in the middle of the day. And then out of nowhere, Texas may be in a great spot for that UTSA transfer Trey Moore. And that could happen at any time. So you got to stay on the ground and you got to stay grinding. We have to stay humble.
2: Absolutely. Well said. Jay Wells, your thoughts on Ty Anthony Smith. Uh, You know, you guys have been all over this story at InsideTexas.com, the Texas A&M commit, apparently making an announcement tonight, but Aggie fans aren't so sure that it's going to be an announcement that they are going to like. How do you feel about the Longhorns' chances to get that flip today?
0: You know what, man? This was one that there's more, there's a lot of, it's not a big back story, but there's been a lot more going on behind the scenes with this recruitment than, than I think people realize. I give my, my man Eric Nolene at Inside Texas a lot of credit. He you know, he was pretty persistent since September. Like, hey, we need to stay on this guy. There's something here. Jeff Choate and the, that guy was building a great relationship. We just needed to stay, stay steady. I went and saw him during the playoffs. Man, him and Justin Williams were the two best linebackers I saw in high school this year. Tremendous. Ty Anthony's a six foot, one and a half, six, two, 205, 210 pound edge, four star, got a linebacker rather. got long, good wingspan, big feet, lots of room for growth. Um, Anthony Hill Jr. has been assisting in on this recruitment. And that tells you something, one, about a freshman can come in and play early. And two, you're letting a freshman handle a recruitment. That tells you a lot about Anthony Hill and this culture in Austin. At the end of the day, guys, I think Ty Anthony, it's war on him. Yesterday, him and I caught up yesterday afternoon briefly. He told me, "Look, I'm ready for this to be over. This process has kind of wore me down. I'm going to be happy when it's over." Then he decides to go at six thirty in the evening. Which, boy, you <laughs> if if I was that anxious, I'd probably want it sooner. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to be that's going to be something everybody can tune into. Be at InsideTexas.com. We're going to have coverage of it as well. I like where Texas sits right now. But there won't be a surprise if he goes with one or the other. It's going to be Texas or Texas A&M. That's how it's going to boil down. And I wouldn't be surprised with either one. Hmm. Ty Anthony is one of those kids. Once he committed, he really committed. Like he really bought in. Uh, And and so it's hard for some of these kids. For some to decommit, it's nothing. For some, it's really tough. It's like they're going against their word. And so I remember when Mike Elko was hired, Ty Anthony liked the hire, you know, a defensive guy coming in there. But Ty Anthony's always told me the same thing. I want to play with an elite defense. I want to play with defense that's elite. AM and has lost a chunk of that elite defense. They had a really good defense they've had over the last few years. Texas, on the other hand, has turned into an incredible defense. PK, tip of the hat. And so I think that has swayed this more than anything.
1: I don't want to veer too far off path here Justin but a m has lost a lot of guys in the transfer portal over the last couple of weeks and Evan Stewart entered his name into the transfer portal last night too do you think he is a serious target for Texas and ultimately does he end up in austin
0: I uh, you know anything can happen okay. okay the portal recruiting is fluid okay anything can happen I just don't see a I don't see a scenario where Texas and Evan Stewart Merge. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. Now, again, anything can happen, especially in the NIL era. Anything's possible. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if Evan Stewart went back to College Station, to be honest with you. I wouldn't okay. be sh- surprised if this isn't a, a negotiating type tactic. Mm-hmm. Listen, Evan's a really smart kid. Okay. Yeah. The, he is a marketing little guru. He's got over a million followers from TikTok to Instagram to Snapchat to Twitter. Evan Stewart knows what he's doing. He's savvy in this department, just as good as he is on the football field. Would he look good in burnt orange opposite Jonte Cook, you know, like back in the day? That would be amazing. But I just realistically, I don't I don't think Texas is in this one right now. That could change. I'm going to keep prefacing that because I've seen stuff. I've seen how things can shift really quick, especially in the last two weeks with portal recruiting. It seems this cycle, it's different than the past, but Evan Stewart in Texas right now, I just, I don't see a scenario where they get together.
1: Thank you for clarifying that. Now back to recruiting. This Texas class is a top fiver in the country. Perhaps it's low hanging fruit, but is Colin Simmons the most important player in this class? And what makes him so special at defensive end?
0: Uh, You'd almost have to say he's – hes you have to say he's hes the most important because um, he's the most talented. hes the, he, he comes in the highest rated at the biggest need position, that edge, even though we saw a lot of growth this year in 2023, Ethan Burke and, and Baron Sorrell and those guys. Colin Simmons, um, he's a huge get because he's going to have to play pretty early. Now He's going to get a little bit bigger in the britches, but he knows that. He's ready to work. One of the first things he said after that back-to-back state cha- state championship on Saturday night, he told me, I, "We're going to the SEC. I got to get bigger. I got to get stronger." Like he's got that kind of mindset, and so yeah, I think you got to give him the, the the credit as being the the, the bell cow. At, you know, five minutes after he committed to Texas during the summer, he was calling recruits. First one he called was Kobe Black. He says, "Your turn." And the truth be known, Kobe Black committed a few weeks after that. It just didn't go public for six months.
1: Going to cut Justin off there for just a second. We will continue the most important players in this class conversation on the other side. I am Trey Elling. This is Sports Day Plus. The Justin Wells conversation today includes my broadcasting partner, Brad Kellner. We're coming up on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Today that conversation also includes my broadcasting partner Brad Kellner on National Signing Day One, a big day for Texas Longhorn Football reeling in another top five class and of course we're mixing in some grad transfer portal questions as well and justin you were just talking about some of the most important guys in this class starting with the top overall recruit colin simmons what are some other
0: names Colin Simmons is important because it's at a need position, but man, they covered some holes in this in this class. Yeah. I mean, they really did. They added some strong developmental offensive linemen. They added imp- three impressive defensive linemen. They could add one more before the, before you know this cycle's done, which ends in February technically. Uh, they went nuts in the secondary. I mean, safeties. This team needed athleticism at the safety position big time. Derek Williams, the, the kid from Jurassic Park was the only one in that, in that bunch that, that really had that twitchy you know dynamic type play, explosiveness. <laughs> Here comes Jordan Johnson rebel and Xavier Fulsane. like these guys are, are, are incredible. And so Kobe Black on one side, Santana Wilson, that's a kid nobody is talking enough about. Watch his film. Out of Scottsdale, Arizona, Desert Mountain High School, Adrian Phillips' son, former all pro NFL safety for the Arizona Cardinals. Santana Wilson is light on his feet. He has got some Samari roll. Uh, Malik Muhammad to his game. That kid, it looks like he's been born to play uh, in the secondary. He's tremendous. I don't think people are talking about him enough. This class is going to, could end up being number four, as high as ranked as number four uh, when, when everything is said and done. And so Colin Simmons has a good chunk of the reason to do with that. But really, I think it's this really strong finish in special season Texas put together.
2: Yeah, Jay Wells, I know we're talking mainly about high school recruiting because it is National Signing Day for high schoolers, but would love to get your thoughts on the two transfer additions that Texas has added this uh, to this point in the offseason. Uh, Andrew McCuba, speaking of the secondary, a guy who uh, should make an impact in this Texas secondary. And also, uh, also Matthew Golden coming over from Houston to uh, fill a void that could be there at wide receiver, assuming all of Texas's top receivers head off to the NFL. Your thoughts on what the Longhorns are getting with uh, the two transfers they brought in?
0: <laughs> two home runs, man. Let me tell you something. Sark is, is good at the portal. <laughs> he doesn't take two. He Ever since the Jalil Billingsley and the Jai Hall duo, he hasn't missed on the portal. That's that's almost two years. Like, And he just did it again. Matthew Golden's going to fit into that Xavier Worthy role. Uh, he's got similar speed. He's a bigger guy. He's got a bigger body, a bigger catch radius, and also adds – dynamic uh, playmaking ability in the kick return game, special teams game. And so Matthew Golden's going to fit in that role. And that's a guy that, you know, you guys follow recruiting. And, and, and I know Trey Reed's inside Texas. We were talking about Matthew Golden during the recruiting cycle two years ago out of Klein Kane about this is a guy you probably need to go get. But but I think Texas chose Brennan Thompson instead. So he gets two years of nice seasoning and strength conditioning at Houston, becomes all conference, and now he's going to do his thing in Texas in Austin as a junior. I love the goal. And pick up. I like the Makuba pickup more, and mainly because Jade Barron is gone. This guy is going to the NFL, he's going to be drafted in April. And he is important as Devondre Sweat was not only to the defensive line but to the defense as a whole. Jade Barron is right a, a notch right underneath him, if not beside him, for how important that guy's been. Makuba can do that. You talk about versatility. This is a kid that can play that star, that nickel spot, but also manning both the fi- the field and, and the boundary safety positions as well. Very smart. I remember this kid during their recruitment. You know, he was always kind of sold on Clemson. It felt like even from early on in his recruitment, but that's a local kid from LBJ. He's got a relationship there with the Texas high school relations coordinator, uh, Jamal Finner, former LBJ head coach. And so, Makuba made all the sense in the world. Matthew Golden makes all the sense in the world. And I don't think they're done in the portal. I think they they, they could very well nab a pretty good edge in the near future. And I think they may even still look at receiver and best player available. Stay tuned. Hmm. I love
1: that. that. All right, uh, Justin, talking about the quarterback position, what do you like about Trey Owens?
0: Oh, he's... He's 6'5", and you don't know that till you walk up beside him. Like, he, hmm. you just don't – you know, sometimes you, you're a little su- surprised by that. He's got a good arm. He's got a good arm that has gotten better over the last 12 to 18 months. He's really worked on his craft. He's filling into his frame, essentially. Um, I love him as a quarterback post-Arch Manning because I think Trey's a kid that can come in. He's, to me, a legitimate four-star. He's a kid that can come in, perform – develop be patient instead of if you went and got a big time five star who would, who wouldn't want to play behind Arch Manning would probably portal after a year because he he didn't get the opportunity he thought he might get with Arch Manning there. Trey is more realistic about it understands there's a there's a there's a role there you know there's almost a chain of command so to speak of, of a hierarchy of how things kind of go in that room. And I think Trey is very understanding of that. Not to mention the dude put on a fantastic senior season. He has a chip on his shoulder. Actually, we were texting last night about this. He has a chip on his shoulder. And I told him, if you keep that on your shoulder, you're going to keep proving everybody wrong. The dude beat Katie in a huge playoff game, second or third round. I can't remember. I believe he was the offensive player of the year at the Houston Touchdown Club. That is a giant offer down there for the the folks of H-Town. I'm, I'm a big I'm I'm a big Trey Owens fan on our on Inside Texas uh, live stream last night. We were talking about underrated guys. I, it was Santana Wilson for Eric, and for me, it was Trey Owens, and we both agreed neither one of those guys are getting the flowers they deserve. Trey Owens, man, he does more recruiting behind the scenes than people realize, and he has more respect from the recruits behind the scenes than people realize.
2: Hmm. J Wells, we got a, a listener question from our guy Jake. I'm not sure if you could see that on the screen, but he wants to know more about uh, some of the early enrollees. It feels like there could be a ridiculously high number of those in this class, and also if any of those guys are uh, able to participate in these bowl practices between now and January first.
0: Yeah, good good question, Jake. Um, yes, they can they can participate in practice. They'll they'll go out there and they'll go through some of the drills and some of the things. They're not going. You're not going to see them likely. On the field, actually hitting, uh, padding up. I'm not. I'm not sure if they even go that far, but I, I do know that they can participate. Guys like like Parker Livingstone and, and and other guys. That there's a few others that have have already arrived and, and are already participating. Um, there's fifteen, as I counted last night, Kellner, and I may I may have to check again. There's fifteen early enrollees out of the twenty. I guess it's twenty one right now, or twenty two uh, signees. Um, That's that's insane. Yeah. Like it's such a sign of the times. And I swear I've said that to Trey when we talk about the the signing class every late December for the last five or six years. I feel like I keep saying it's a sign of the times that these guys are enrolling early. It's no longer a trend. It seems like it's more of the norm. And I know Sark is big on that. He is prevalent on grabbing kids that can enroll early. It's not just because they're ready to come in and and, and start working and and learning you know, with a heads up, it means they're driven. It means they're self-motivated. They're focused. A lot of guys, they want to stay that's that last part of their senior year, enjoy themselves, kind of unwind, recover, recharge and come into to, to college as a junior. Not these guys. Sark wants Sark oh. wants the self-motivated Sark wants guys that are hungry. Sark wants guys that want to make the other guy tap out. And that's why out of 21, 22 signees today, 15 are going to enroll early. That's the norm at Texas now. And I think players should expect that.
1: Other than Colin Simmons, Justin, is there a soon to be true freshman that you expect to be playing at some point in 2024?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, yes. Yes. I think I got, I got rubble. going to ask me something real quick. Come on in. Cause you're about to bug me. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had a
1: rubble break. Um, that's the bulldog, right? <laughs> that's the
0: bulldog. Of course it's the bulldog. There <laughs> he is. Rubble. You know, you, you know when you got a prospect, when you got that dog in him. You got that dog in him. <laughs> no, who plays early in 2024? Uh, I think Colin Simmons will see the field. I think um Oh, Kobe Black. I think Kobe Black's going to see the field. I think that's a strong possibility, especially with Ryan Watts. You know, if, he, if he's going to the league, that's a, that boundary spot's going to need to be occupied. And, and they that's that's one of the sales pitches for Kobe was, hey, look at that spot. We like you in that area at 6'2", 200 pounds. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Phil Simé, the, 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 the safety out of McKinney, plays a little bit early. Uh, it's going to be interesting what that safety room looks like after the playoffs. I think there could be a few more guys that either – portal or potentially go to the NFL. And so I think Phil Sime will probably have to play early. Um, on the offensive side, it's gonna be interesting because those wide receivers are gonna get an opportunity. Ryan Wingo is going to play. Ryan Wingo will probably be in the rotation. Hmm. And I think he's gonna be ready. That's gonna be a fun development to see over the springtime. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna have a handful of these guys, but you're not gonna have as much as that first and second class. And it's just because the depth at Texas is just strong. I mean, there is competition at every spot, guys. It it really is a page. Stark's pulling a page out of Pete Carroll's playbook. You know, USC was renowned for over-recruiting at every position because they wanted – Pete Carroll wanted so much competition where it forced the cream to come to the top every time. And now in the portal era, I think Sark has learned how to manage that. And with his time with the Falcons, he's got the NFL underneath – Uh, In NFL roster management type skills going on and so uh, to me I think it's just a smooth running ship that Sark has figured out
1: There he is Justin Wells of Inside Texas InsideTexas.com and that Inside Texas YouTube channel always great talking with you my friend thank you so much for joining us on the busiest day of the year for you
0: Hey guys I've missed you nothing but love holler at me let's do it again soon
1: Coming up in today's final segment, it is a conversation with Chavo Guerrero, former professional wrestler who has an instrumental role in the excellent new film, The Iron Claw, on wrestling's Von Erich family and their fascinating and tragic life in and out of the ring. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Chavo Guerrero is a former professional wrestler who these days, amongst other things, serves as a wrestling coordinator in Hollywood. That includes in the exceptional new film, The Iron Claw, which opens in theaters December 22nd. It's all about the Von Erich family, their compelling and tragic story in and out of the ring. On top of serving as that wrestling coordinator, Chavo also plays a small role in the film as the Sheik. Chavo, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today?
3: Hey, Trey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me, brother.
1: It is my pleasure. Your role in this movie is not just one who appears on screen as the Iron Sheik, but uh, you had an arguably uh, more important role behind the scenes as well. How did you initially get involved in this
3: film? You know, I got approached by the director, Sean Durkin, that, uh, you know, he was writing this movie about the Von Erick family, and uh, he was a, a fan. He wasn't just some guy, you know, just that was a cool story you know he was a big fan he was obsessed with that family and we had a uh, a little sit down uh, meeting in los angeles had some coffee and man he just really threw it out at me how all the stuff that he wanted to do and after finding out <laughs> what an awesome director he actually is uh it was uh, there was a no brainer i had to do this
1: was your initial responsibility as wrestling director or was he wanting to cast you in one of the roles, which of course, of course, ultimately becomes the Iron Sheik?
3: Uh, no, no, no. I uh, was the wrestling coordinator. That's okay. that's what he was bringing me on as. And it wasn't the Iron Sheik. It was the original Sheik. who was Ed Farad was um, the original Sheik that wrestled in the like world-class wrestling days. He's actually was more sadistic and maniacal than the actual Iron Sheik. So that's the original Sheik. (laughs) But um, he asked me, you know, I was the wrestling coordinator and kind of wrestling wrestling consultant on the film. And then I got a call uh, from his, uh, one of his executive producers, his live producer who asked me, Hey, um, you know, Sean really wants to know if can you, can you play the Sheik in the, in the, in the film? And I was, At first, kind of like, okay, not that I didn't want to do it or you don't want to be on, you know, I'm ex-pro wrestler where I always want to be on camera. But, you know, that would have, I always think about it, it takes me away from being behind the camera with a director and watching that choreography being filmed and and tweaking it, you know. So I was like, okay, uh, there's some little nuances that if we're going to do that, then I have to see some replays and that kind of stuff. But um, our uh, stunt coordinator, Hiro actually, you know, he's a second unit director as well. And he's just really just kind of uh, stepped in and kind of covered for me as I was in the ring. So sometimes I don't like to do that. You know, I was on camera for years in WWE and stuff. I love creating behind the camera and seeing it go from a script, just an idea to seeing all the process that we do to get it on 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 the big screen, you know, or on the TV. That's really kind of my passion now, you know, and I, I eventually want to direct and follow in Sean's footsteps, but, um, you know, that's a little down the road, but you know, for me, i be on stage to be in the ring. That's, that's a no brainer. That's, you know, that's, that's easy. That's super easy. to me.
1: So I'm assuming that you've taught wrestling in the past. I don't know how many times you've had the opportunity to be a wrestling coordinator, in a movie, but you guys nailed it. The wrestling in this film as plenty of people before me have talked about is incredible. What was the key in getting that part of this process, right? Javo?
3: So my background, I, I, I was the wrestling coordinator on Netflix glow glow the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I was also the, the wrestling coordinator on NBC's young rock. So I got four seasons there. I got three seasons there. So I'm, done this a whole bunch of times so for me to do this was i I had done it i already knew what i was doing and you're always you just get better at your craft as you go along um but to get that to get it correct you know there's there's a lot to it you're not only trying to imitate something these real life people the veterinarians you're not always playing real life actors or playing real life people on on screen but here they are so we have to get down their their mannerisms and their moves sometimes. So then you also have the actor's ability. What can they do? What can't they do? So just because, you know, Kevin Van Eyre could shoot a beautiful dropkick didn't mean Zac Efron could. Thank God that we got him to that point where he could, you know, he can jump through the through the ceiling and he was great. Um, so um, that's kind of the way it goes. And plus, you know, it's time period as, as well. You have to know, okay, well, you know, if, if, the, if the writer's writing something like, well, I'd look to see, a, you know, a, a, a flip over here. I'm like, well, they didn't really do that in 1982. So let's, they did, some, you know, more of this kind of style. So really there's there's a lot of, it's almost like Jenga. It's like you're playing all these, you're stacking different things and kind of like making things work and not work. And there's a lot of aspect, And they got to see what the director wants, how the producers want it, how if we have any stunt doubles, how the DPs wants to shoot it. So there's, there's there's a whole lot more than just putting together a wrestling scene.
1: The three main Von Eriks are played by Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, and Harris Dickinson, of course. Who was the most natural amongst those three with inter- with regard to his wrestling skills?
3: I get that question all the time. You know, they were all awesome, all different. It's like having a student when you're teaching, you know, a math teacher teaching students, some students are be better at, you know, uh, addition, some better divisions, some better at fractions. Well, it's, it was the same in the ring. Some one was better at, you know, hitting the ropes. The other one was better at, you know, taking bumps. So you work with that and, you know, you kind of you use that in their choreography as well. So, your question, Jeremy would have a different approach. He would almost sit and be he was more like a methodical thinker. He would sit there and visualize and then say, okay, I got it. Zach would like, he take more like that of the high school musical dance aspect to it. He'd like to walk through it and walk through it and walk through it. Um, Harris was a little different. I didn't get him in the ring as much, but he was a gamer. He was like, don't worry, Chavo. I'll, I'll be good. I'll, I'll, I'm ready. And he, you know, he did. So he brought it so... They're all a little bit different, but all, all great. And every one of them surprised me every day on set, you know, and every day we filmed and I was, I was the biggest cheerleader in the background. Yes, you know, <laughs> watching behind the camera with Sean.
1: You also bore the responsibility of promising the Von Erich family that you would make sure to do the family name right. Was there something that you did or interjected with that ensured that that process went well too?
3: You know, really, you know, our, our family history being a wrestling, coming from a wrestling family in Texas with another wrestling family, almost rivals of ours. Um, I told the family that I was, I will make this like I make it about my own family. I will mm. put that attention to detail. And, and really it was, I didn't have to talk to them so much because I was so familiar with that, with the family. I knew them in and out of the ring on a personal basis. You know, I've been to the ranch in Hawaii way before this, uh, you know, so I really, I really knew them and was a fan of the Von Erich brothers. How could you not be? They were, they were incredible wrestlers. So I really was familiar with them. I did brush up a little bit and go back to some YouTube stuff and kind of pick some things that I could really do. And seeing how Kerry would do his tornado punch or how they would do the clock, because they would always, they all do it a little bit different. You know, so we'd, you know, kind of would get the, the actors to to um, imitate or emulate the the wrestlers, but in their own way too. You have to take what an actor can do as well. So I really made you know, I tried to make it like I was making my own family and do that that family proud.
1: And what do you like most about the Iron Claw, which opens the theaters here in just a couple of days?
3: I just love the story, man. I love, well, of course, I love the wrestling, but I, I yeah, I love the directing. I love how Sean made it. It's not. It's a very tragic story, and it's not it's just super tragic. He really put how that family was together and how that family bond really meant so much to everybody. I love that part.
1: Yeah, and I think he did a good job of showing the the really good intimate times to go along with uh, all the unfortunate events over the years too. Absolutely. So if you get the odd opportunity to direct someday, are you telling a wrestling story? Or are you telling a story that is unrelated to the world of wrestling?
3: I will tell take whatever comes my way, but uh, I have uh, I'll probably end up starting doing some wrestling stuff and that'll transition to other things. I have a couple of projects in the works that are hopefully will put me uh, lead me on that path.
1: <laughs> gotcha. He is Chavo Guerrero. not only serves as the wrestling coordinator in the Iron Claw also played, the Sheik as well did a great job in that role. And he's talking about this excellent movie. It is uh, one of the best movies of 2023, even if it's coming out at the very end of the year. Chavo, thank you so much for the time today and congratulations on
3: this film. Hey, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks for, for doing it. And I uh, hope you'd like the film and good luck to you, brother.
1: Just as a reminder, The Iron Claw does open in theaters everywhere this weekend. No doubt it's going to be one of the most popular Christmas time movies. Maybe not the most Christmassy movie. There is no Christmas that I can think of in this film. And it is heartbreaking in a lot of ways. But it is an exceptional story that is being told on the big screen. And I think this is the sort of movie that does deserve that big screen treatment. As I talked about with Chavo, the... Wrestling scenes alone are really cool, great acting, the script is outstanding, and it is uh, one of the most tragic stories in sports entertainment history. The Von Eriks had all of the abilities in the world, but the family seemed cursed, and some of it was self-inflicted, I assure you no pun intended there, but some of it just seems random happenstance, that it's like just a string of uh, bad luck happening to this family, And, uh, unfortunately many of the previous generation are no longer around to help tell this story, but that's why it's important that guys like Chavo Guerrero are there. He's friends with the family still to ensure that as the story is being told on the big screen for the very first time that it does the family right. Right. Alright, that is it for another edition of the show. Thank you again to Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel for jumping on to talk recruiting on National Signing Day 1. Kudos to Steve Sarkeesian and his staff for landing another top 5 class. Thanks chugging along there. Oh, and thanks to you for tuning in today. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. That includes a conversation with Sammy P, getting you Dgens ready for the football gambling weekend. In the meantime, have a great rest of the evening, and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.